If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with us to the book of Micah. Micah, chapter 6. Don't mistake Micah for Malachi. (laughs) Or you won't won't see these verses. Uh, Micah, chapter 6. As you're turning there, um, Joseph Stowell, former president of Moody Bible Institute, He writes in his book, Fanning the Flame. He says, the call to authentic Christianity is to have heart, a heart for God. A heart for God requires, and he lists three things. He says, a heart for God requires that we move from externals to internals. That we reject the easy way of ritual and habit and that it requires the development of a vibrant relationship with Christ at the very core. Now let me just explain what these three statements are saying. When he says to have a heart for God, it requires that we move from the externals to the internals. What it means is if we've got a heart for God, before we're looking around us, we're looking inside of us. We're not looking to change others, we're looking to change ourselves. We're looking to focus on what it is that I must do to please him rather than what someone else is not doing. To have a heart for God is to realize that we're all flawed. We all fall short and that we would live our lives seeking to please him and not be so focused on our neighbor and what we think they should or shouldn't be doing. That's the first thing he mentions. He also says that we reject the easy way of ritual and habit. What he means by that is that is that we don't focus on the things that are routine. We should all develop being habits. But serving the Lord should not be about habit and ritual. Because when we start to serve the Lord out of habit and ritual, it will become mundane. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say here that it requires to develop a vibrant relationship with Christ at the very core. In other words, we're not looking at do's and don'ts, but we're looking at a relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Far too often, due to not understanding what having a heart for God requires, we find ourselves serving God out of fear and out of obligation. When we serve God without having a heart for him our service is often misplaced or replaced with routine and monotony here in chapter 6 we see in the book of Micah that that this was a problem for Israel it was a problem for the children of God God's chosen people (laughs) were without a heart for him. Now they were not serving him with love and affection. Instead, they were serving him out of obligation. And sadly, this led to them believing that their service 
was enough to make them right with God. I'm afraid that we live in a time and place where that still happens today. But let's look here at today's text and see if we can see any similarities in what's taking place here and what takes place in this world that we're living in. You know, I heard somebody say several years ago, we've got to find a way to make the Bible relevant. <laughs> we don't have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. If we will open its word and we will teach what its word says, we'll find that it applies today just as it did when it was written. The Bible tells us in Micah 6, 6 through 8, it says, And with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calf a year old, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you today for your word. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we would not sin against you. Help us to understand your truths and what it is that you want us to apply to our lives as we live in this broken world. And God, until we come to be with you for all eternity, God, we pray that you would lead us, guide us, and direct us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, if there's one with us today who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that you would sit with them and that you would convict their hearts, and God, that you would plead to them, that you would knock upon their heart's door to where today that someone may say, what must I do to be saved? For God, we know you're faithful and just, and we're going to look to you and trust you in all things. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. When we look at the setting for today, we find that God had given Israel, his chosen people, his word. In other words, he had given them his laws, his commandments. And the thing about the law of God was that it was not given for the purpose of being a burden upon the people. 1 John 5 and 3 tells us, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Instead, what God's intention was in giving us his law was to give us a guide, and he would give us a way of, protect, of, of being protected. Above all, the people were to simply love the Lord and care for one another. But instead, the people... God's chosen people, they chased after false gods. They rejected the Lord and they ignored his word. And this led to sinful activity. This led to immoral behavior. This led to the mistreatment um, through abuse and the exploitation of their own people. 
So here in chapter 6, what we find is what appears to be a courtroom setting. It appears here that the Lord is bringing charges against the people. That he is using the, the prophet Micah here to share with them the charges he has against them. And he's calling for the mountains to not only hear his call or his charge, but also for the people to give their defense to the mountains. Now, that may sound a little strange to you and I at first glance. When we first read this, we wonder why is God calling out to the mountains? Why is he asking the mountains to be the jury? Well, when you sin against God and God's word, you sin also against God's creation and against nature. And, and if we, he is the God not of creation. He is the God of nature. And, and therefore, if we've sinned against nature, we've sinned against God. So there's no one else worthy to, to really uh, hear the defense. There's no one worthy to hear the charge and make a decision other than nature. Nature has not changed. Nate, uh, as a matter of fact, what God has created as far as the land, it has not really changed. What's changed is those who have inhabited the land. You remember, God gave the land to us. And, uh, he gave the land to man to where man would have dominion over everything, even the beasts of the field. But, but man has corrupted God's law. And now he said, telling creation, now you judge. You judge. You listen. Listen to them, but also listen to me. And when we look here, what we find is the first complaint against the people. Where they had begun, they had begun to feel uh, that serving the Lord was a burden to them. Uh, they, we look here at the question there in verse 3. He says, oh my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me, he is saying here. In other words, how have I burdened you? Share, share what I've done to burden you. Here in the second complaint, we see that he shows that God is, uh, that not only was serving God a burden to them, but the people had forgot about the salvation that he had provided for them. The Lord even took time to list some of the ways in which he had provided for them. If you look there in verse 5, he says, oh my people, remember how. In verse 4, he, he, he tells them, therefore I brought you up from. Here he's giving them instances here or illustrations or examples of how he has saved them over the years and they have just forsaken it or they have forgotten about it or they've taken it for granted. The Lord says here that that he had delivered them from the uh, slavery in Egypt. He provided for them faithful leaders to guide them. Leaders such as Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He protected them from the curses of their enemies such as Balak, uh, the king of Moab. And he even provided dry ground for them to walk across at the Jordan River going into the promised land. Some of you are thinking I'm misquoting, aren't you? Some of you are thinking, no preacher, that was when they were going into the wilderness 
where they crossed over the, the uh, Red Sea on dry ground. But actually Joshua 3 and 17 tells us, then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over Jordan. Here, what, he's, what we know is Joshua is another example of the Lord giving his people a faithful leader who would guide them into the promised land after Moses' death. And now while these are just a few of the instances in which God was, had saved the people, he delivered them time and time again from their enemies. He gave them a fertile land that flowed with milk and honey to be their home. And yet the people had forgotten about God's blessings. They were ungrateful of the salvation that the Lord had uh, provided for them. And tragically, there is a lack of gratitude shown to our Lord uh, today. It's just as common today as it was in the day of Micah. The free gift of salvation that God has provided for us through the sacrifice of his only begotten son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is still today being rejected by many. So many today are serving Christ also out of, out of fulfilling a laundry list of do's and don'ts, often serving him for some is seen as a sacrifice that's too great for the young to offer. Some see, uh, see serving him is too demanding for those who are living busy lives. Or serving him is just too complex for those trying to simplify their lives. But that's not the only lack of gratitude shown. Often professing born-again believers, God's children, go about their days with little, if any, thought to the salvation that we have received through Jesus Christ. We must never forget the price that was paid. For, our, for us to experience on a daily basis the peace, the joy, and the presence of God in our lives. And upon hearing this indictment upon them, the people, they offered up a flawed defense. So here we are able to see this flawed defense of the children of God. So in an effort to please God... The children of Israel sought to become acceptable to him through rituals and sacrifices. That's right there in verses 6 and 7. Three questions are asked in an attempt to be accepted by God. Would offering up animal sacrifice make them acceptable to God? Would giving large offerings please God? Or would offering the firstborn child make them acceptable to God? And for those of us who have genuinely received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that we could never become acceptable to God through our own human effort. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He is telling us here we can't even boast in the faith that we have because the faith that we have is faith that was given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. 
Our sins are not forgiven by completing a laundry list of things or some list of acts of service. Our sins are not forgiven by the sacrifice we offer. Our sins are not forgiven by the number of sacrifices that we offer. Our sins are not forgiven by how great the sacrifice is that we offer. If our sins were forgiven by sacrifice, Christianity would merely be religion. But Christianity is not religion. Christianity is a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. When God instituted the sacrificial system, it wasn't that God wanted to give people a way to live as they pleased and still be forgiven. That was not the intent. The intent of the sacrificial system was to reveal the seriousness of their sin. Blood would have to be poured out for sin to be covered and forgiven. They were to be broken. The intention was that every individual who had to offer up a sacrifice, that they would be broken in their heart. They would be broken over the fact that God's creation, an animal, regardless of what it would, was it would have to lose its life in order to provide forgiveness for sin. However, through the centuries, up to Micah's day, the Jews had worshipped and they had practiced rituals of their religion. They they went from the motions of religious sacrifices. They went through all the motions of religious sacrifices, but their hearts were far from God. People believed that they could live any kind of way they wanted, whether they were engaging in sexual immorality or exploiting and abusing their own neighbor. As long as they presented offerings and sacrifices to God, they God would be appeased by them. However, 1 Samuel 15, Samuel asked the question, and he provides the answer. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Then he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of the lambs. In other words, God wants us to read his word, spend time in his word and and follow his word. That's the only way we're going to be able to please him. It's not by offering sacrifices. You know what we'll do? Well, you know, uh, I, I've been, I, I know I've done this and I shouldn't have done it. Well, I just go to God and I ask for forgiveness. And then it's no, it's no more than 24 hours, maybe 48 hours. We're doing the same thing again. And we think that just because we bow down on the knee and ask God to forgive us that, that it's Okay. We haven't truly repented of anything till our heart is broken. When our heart is broken over the fact that we've broken God's heart, then we're truly repentant. Then we're truly wanting to turn away from what it is that, that we've done to break God's heart. You know, those of you who, who may be in a backslidden condition, and those of you who may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe that he died for the sin of the world, you believe that he rose from the dead, but you're afraid to confess him as your Lord and Savior out of fear of living the Christian life? My real question is, are you trying to live out a set of rules Are you trying to live out a set of do's and don'ts? Or are you trying to live in his steps? 
If you're trying to live your life by a list of rules and rituals, I, wanna, I want to assure you today, you're going to fail. And you're going to fail miserably. And it's hard. It's hard to live in gratitude when we feel like we're living in failure. You know, I think it's time that we just stop focusing on a list of rules and rituals and begin focusing on serving with gratitude for the free gift of salvation that God has provided through his son. For those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, let's not forget to be grateful that that we've been set free from the bondage of sin and shame. Let's not forget to be grateful for his peace, his joy, and his presence in our lives. Let's not forget to be grateful for grateful because he's a present help in time of trouble let's not forget to be grateful because we can boldly come to his throne of grace to, and obtain mercy to find grace for to help us in our time of need let's not forget to be grateful that that for the believer this world is not as good as it gets but we have a better home that's not made by man but is eternal in the heavens let's live our lives grateful for all that God has given us and if we live our lives grateful for what he has done for us then we'll serve him gladly we're looking at rules and rituals and they will not get us to heaven it doesn't matter how good we keep the law that's not getting us to heaven so we can stop focusing on that and focus on what will bring us into the presence of God Focus on what will bring us into his eternal kingdom. And that's faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let's focus on being grateful for the faith in Jesus and what it provides for us. You know what it provides for us? You know, I can open my eyes this morning and I can get out of bed and I can get ready because I know he's going to walk with me through this day. You know what it does for me? It helps me to know that whenever I have broken his heart, that I can bow down with a repentant heart and he he will forgive me of my sins. You know what gets me through the day? It's knowing that even before I ask him, he's already forgiven my past, my present, and my future sins. I may face the chastisement of God, but even in the midst of his chastisement, he's going to be right there with me. It just gives me joy to know that one day I'm going to leave this world. And as Brother Curley said earlier, he is confident in where his son is going. I'm confident in where I'm going when I leave this world. I'm confident that heaven is my home. I'm not wishing for it. I'm not hoping that I'm going to be there. I know with everything that is in me that because of my faith in Jesus Christ and what he done on the old rugged cross he rose from the grave that because of faith in him that heaven is my home just as if I was already there well it's a sad thing to live focusing on do's and don'ts and not being sure of where eternity is for you Oh, we can focus on him and his goodness rather than the world looking at us and saying, well, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't read 12 verses today and you didn't write down in your devotional uh, notebook what, 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 what you got from it. So God's going to put an X beside your name or, 
or you prayed and you thought of somebody else and God's got a chick beside your name. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. Those things are good to do. Those things are good to do. But those things aren't what's getting us to heaven. <laughs> those things aren't what's getting us into the presence of God. I think if we love him and we know who we are in him, those are some things that will become habits for us. But we won't rely on those things <laughs> to get us into God's presence. Instead, we'll rely on our faith in Jesus Christ. So when night comes and no one's around and the devil is a beating us up, he's waking us up and telling us to throw our life away. Our faith in Jesus says that God's got a great life ahead of me. If I just, if I just trust him, he'll get me through this night. When, I, when the devil comes and says that you are no good, you're, you're unworthy of any goodness of God. And God reaches down beside us because of our faith in Jesus Christ and says, but I love you no matter what. And I always love you. If you'll just hold on to me, I'm going to hold you and I'm going to carry you where you need to be. God has a plan for us. And we have to trust in his son and in the plan of God. Not trust in do's and don'ts. <laughs> Not trust in these laundry list of things. You know, we do a lot of things that we do because we love him. We do it because we love him. But we serve him. We serve him fully out of love, not out of obligation. I hope no one's serving in a classroom, Brother Eugene, because they're afraid if they don't teach that class, <laughs> they just might not make it in. <laughs> I hope no one's back there at the back with the computer or with the sound doing, moving buttons and clicking a, a mouse because they're afraid if they don't. They might not make it in. I hope you're not here when the choir is singing. Then it's a time of worship and you're raising your hands because you're hoping that by raising your hands, it's going to get you in the presence of God. No, I hope you're doing those things because you love him and because he's real. And because he's real, you just want to serve him. Here. Here they're asking God, what shall we do? What shall we do? Shall we bring the calf that's just a year old? Oh, that's not enough. Shall we bring 10,000 rams? What about a whole river full of oil? Oh God, shall we give our child? Shall we give our child? Hmm. No, I think what he would want you to do is just trust him. Trust him, trust him, and follow him. Yes, upon hearing the flawed defense of the children of God, God offers up a favorable directive to the children of God. If we cannot please God by observing rules and rituals, then how can we please him? Micah addresses this. He asked the question, what does the Lord require of you? And then he answers the question, the Lord required that they do justly. 
In other words, the children of God were to treat one another fairly, honestly, and ethically. God's idea of justice called for people to actively seek to do good to one another, to help each other in times of need. It included, yes, the keeping the commandments to the best of our ability. Commandments such as not stealing, not killing, not coveting, not bearing false witness. But it went further than that. It sought to... It, it, it called for us to seek to protect the helpless, to defend, uh, to protect the defenseless in society, especially the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, and the poor. Let me go back to the foreigners. You know, we have this mindset about our border, and I understand the mindset about the border. I understand that we're weary of those bringing drugs in. I understand we're weary about those who are coming in to do harm to other people, those who's coming in to steal from us, those who are coming in to murder us and our kids. I, I get that concern that we have, but, but listen, folks, we're all foreigners. We're all foreigners. Listen, we, we, we're, we're just passing through this place this is not our home our home is in heaven we're foreigners in this land this strange land and our duty our duty is to show the light of christ no matter who it is that comes in i can't control them but i can me (laughs) i can't help what they do but i can help what i do I can help what I say about them. I can help how I treat them. I can help how I present myself before them. Yes, <laughs> the Lord requires us to do justly, to be just with everyone. Not look down our nose on anyone because their skin's different than ours. Not look down our nose because I have a better job than them. Not look down our nose because they don't have children. Not look down their nose because their house doesn't measure up the mine or their car doesn't measure up the mine. We deal justly with people. We look at each other the same. But the, law, the Lord also required that we love mercy. This means that we seek to practice mercy. We seek both the mercy of God and to extend mercy to others. That word mercy, it's hesed in the, in the Hebrew. It implies a loyal love, a steadfast loving kindness. It, what it is, it's a love that's not based on merit. It's a love that forgives and pardons whether the other person deserves it or not. I didn't deserve it. Any case you didn't know, you didn't either. None of us deserve the mercy of God. So how can we justly not show mercy to others? Hmm. The Lord also required that we walk humbly, that they walk humbly with their God. Oh, I like that. You know, some translation says before their God. Here in the New King James, it says, with our God. It's saying that we're walking with God. <laughs> in other words, we're, we're required to walk humbly with him. Jesus Christ is our example of this. The Hebrew word for humble, it suggests modesty. 
God's people were to walk modestly and meekly with him. Not proudly, not arrogantly. They were to trust the Lord and acknowledge him as the source of their lives as they walked through this world day by day. In other words, they were to live their lives in his steps. Yeah, we see this illustrated in Matthew 25, 31 through 40. You know, the passage tells us of the event of when the Son of Man will come in his glory. The Bible says that all the angels will come with him and he will sit on his throne. He will sit on the throne of his glory. Nations will gather before him. He will separate them from one another. He'll have the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left hand. And when the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom that is prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. The Bible says that the righteous will ask, when did this happen? When did we see you hungry and fed you? When did we see you thirsty and we gave you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and we took you in? When did we see you naked and we clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and we come to you? And the king will say, our Lord and Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will say, as surely as much as you did this to one of the least of my brethren, <laughs> you did it to me. What did we do? <laughs> we done justly. We loved mercy. And we walked humbly with our God. You know what? Truth is, we can't do any of those Without him walking with us. And we walk with him. Some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute, preacher. That's, that's a list. That's a list you're saying we've got to follow. <laughs> Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly before God. That's a list. Well, what it is, it is not a list of do's and don'ts. <laughs> it's a way of life. What I mean is when we genuinely receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will grow in grace by spending time with the Lord in, in prayer and in his holy word. And we will begin to follow under the leadership of his Holy Spirit and then things will just change in our lives. You know, I said earlier, some are afraid that they can't live the Christian life. Well, I want you to know that God just does a work in us to where the Christian life becomes something that we desire to live and something that, that becomes a part of us. It's not that we're going out making this special effort for it just to please him, but it's, it's just who we are. He changes our want to. I don't want to do the things I used to do. I don't want to talk the way I used to talk. I don't want to go to the places I used to go. Instead, I want to serve him with all that I have. Amen. Not because it'll get me to heaven, but because he loved me enough that when I was in my mess, he saw me in my need and he called me and he made me his own. Yes, we find when the Holy Spirit starts changing our lives, God begins doing a work that we can't do on our own. 
I can't get right with God. We find that he is conforming us into the image of his son. And we find that that we are not who we used to be. And we don't want to do what we used to do. We find that our mind is being renewed each day. And so we begin to want to treat others fairly. We begin to seek God's mercy. And we begin to, to extend mercy to others. We'll find ourselves desiring to praise and bless his holy name. For all the good that he's done in our lives. Oh, these, this is not a checklist of do's and don'ts. In other, instead, <laughs> this is just work that he's doing in us. He's bringing us to desire justice. To desire mercy and extend mercy. And to desire to walk humbly before him. God's working in our lives. And we must trust the work that he's doing. And when we do these things, our lives are then filled with gratitude for salvation. And it's a salvation that only he provided. How can I say that? It's a salvation that only he provided? Well, when Adam sinned in the garden, God pursued after him. We know Adam hid, but God pursued after him. God saw him in his mess, covered in fig leaves. God killed an animal and covered him with skin. And in the fullness of time, God sent his only begotten son. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats and sheep and birds would no longer suffice for the sin of the world. So God sent his son. To live a sinless life. His son died on an old rugged cross. A sinner's death. And on the third day God raised him from the dead. Giving us victory over death, hell and the grave. And then as Jesus is back at the father's right hand. Making intercession for those who know him. He saw you in your mess. And he pursued after you. He saw me in my mess and pursued after me. And when he saw us there, he sat down with us and he put his arms around us and shared with us just how much he loves us. And he didn't just share with us. He was able to bring somebody by to open up the word to tell us that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, God, it's the salvation he has given us. And all we had to do was receive it. Just believe and confess. Oh, I'm so grateful (laughs) that my salvation was not dependent on my good works. Because I would not be saved today. I would be lost and on my way to a demon's hell. I'm so glad that God fixed it in a way that he didn't wait on me to pursue him. But he came after me. In my mess. I'm so glad he didn't wait till I got it right to where I was living good enough that he would receive me. Instead, he found me when my life was turned upside down, when I didn't know what to do or where to go. And he assured me that he loved me and that he would save me and he'd bring me to him. And folks, I don't know, (laughs) I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be before you. 
I don't deserve to be able to open his word, let alone preach his holy word. I don't deserve it. All the things that go through my mind, all the times I've just wanted to quit and just give up. He didn't give up on me. I don't know what the enemy is telling you, but I can assure you he will help you live in his steps. You don't have to worry about, will I be able to do this or do that? Oh, (laughs) trust him and he'll change your life. He'll change your life. Question is, are you willing today as they come to sing the song of invitation? Are you willing today to just trust him with your life? You know, there, there's some here today. You may be struggling with other things. There's some here today. You, you just, you don't know if you want to give up. <laughs> You don't know if you've been able to feel God's presence in a while. You just seem, feel like you're growing a little cold. Well, we've got people who will pray with you. I'm going to ask Brother Marcus and Brother Mike. I'm going to ask them to come and, and be willing just to pray for anyone who would come up and say, I need prayer. I need encouragement. I need someone to help Help me reach the throne of God. Brother Gerald, would you come? Brother Crafton, would you come up? These men will pray with you. And they will help you. Help you to know through prayer and the truth of God's word that God is real. And no matter what you're going through, he loves you too much to leave you right where you're at. He loves you. And he's doing a work that he's began he started that he's going to finish but maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior I'd love to introduce you to this man Jesus this man who will change your life give you a new perspective and help you understand that this is not a religion this is a relationship And he desires that relationship with you. Would you come? Would you come? If you desire prayer, these men will pray with you. If you want to know Jesus, I'll be glad to introduce you to him. Would you come? Would you come?